morning we are going to be in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, which is a little bit of a, a respite. for the. If you've been with us for the last three weeks, you've known that we've taken like entire chapters of Romans at a time. And this week, we get to slow down and engage in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I don't want to exaggerate as pastors are prone to do on occasion, um, But I think these two verses might be some of the most influential verses in my life over the last 20 years. These two verses are coming on the heels of Romans 1 through 11, where it is Paul's kind of information and theological gospel dump so that we might all have the proper information needed and necessary to understand who we are, who God is, who Jesus is, what he accomplished on our behalf, that we might understand that we are now justified by faith in Christ, that we now are united with him, that we now have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and we've been given a spirit of adoption, not a spirit of fear. And Paul has been adamant over and over and over again about the realities of the gospel to help us understand the right information and a couple weeks ago in Romans 10 we were reminded that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord you will be saved and all of that information is so incredibly important I mean for heaven's sakes he spent 11 chapters teaching us and we cannot neglect those by any means but I grew, up in, I grew up in the church. Some of you are like me. Some of you are not like me. So I apologize. My experience is not everybody else's. But my experience, for the most part, growing up in the church, it wasn't a matter of having the right information. It was a matter of, ha- matter of having the right practice. It wasn't a, a problem of, did I know the answer to the question Is Jesus Christ Lord? It's yeah, 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 yeah. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. The challenge for my life is how do I actually live in that reality? The challenge for me was how do I not just be a blabbermouth and be a person from the inside out who believes in my heart, which is what Romans 10 talks about, that Jesus Christ is Lord. How how do I do that? And I'm so grateful because Paul and the rest of the epistle is really going to move now into not just what is the right information, and please hear me be really clear, that right information is imperative. And he hasn't just been giving us right information, he's been giving us how to live throughout as well, but he gets more explicit from 12 on in how now are we called to live. And I want you to know, I've been wrestling with this passage, and and not necessarily the passage, um, but more like the the pastoral side for us. I'm kind of a, I'm a coach by nature. We just won our championship yesterday. Go White Sox, you know, we're excited. There might be a little bit of like the the rah-rah coach that comes out in me a little bit today. But I just, I've been trying to figure out why is my heart so heavy 
with this passage this morning. And I'm going to take a, a, a stab at it and know that this is me, not the Lord, necessarily. But I think if you've been kind of paying attention to the landscape of Christianity in the West, there are a lot of people who are really terrified that Christianity is shrinking by the moment. We've got all of these things that we're terrified of. We've got these systems that are in place in our country or that are not in place in our country. And, and people are, are, are trying to almost plead with us to be scared one way or another that we might live our lives a different way. And I, and I think what I, the Lord has been laying on my heart is that the reality is the, the reason why I think Christianity might look a little dim in the West To some, and definitely not to all, is because we have been satisfied with information and disinterested in transformation. This world doesn't need a people who just know the right answers. This world, our kids, They need to see a people who are transformed into the image and growing into the image of Jesus. A people who don't just proclaim with our mouths, who demonstrate with our lives that Jesus is Lord. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would minister, that you would shape us. We do not need events. Necessarily. We need to help. Ask, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be steadfast. Lord, that we would partner with you. That we would join you in the work that you want to do in our lives for your glory, for the benefit of our families in this city and the world. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. Paul has done a masterful job explaining the status of mankind and our need for Jesus over the last 11 verses. And he's done an incredibly good job sharing the good news that people who put their faith in Jesus are justified, unified with him, at peace with God, and now have the Holy Spirit 
dwelling within them. And now he shifts the gears of the rest of the letter. And how now are we called to live? So he starts with a, a unique phrase. He, he says, we mentioned a bunch of times already, and so I'll just cover it. Remember, whenever we see the word therefore in Scripture, we ask, what is therefore therefore? And it's connecting us to the rest of the story, the rest of the letter so far, and Romans, from Romans 1 through Romans 11. And so he's saying, okay, because of these incredible mercies, I appeal to you, or I urge you, I plead with you. I know it's silly, but sometimes I think we rush past words like this that can help us understand a little bit of Paul's emotion. You almost see this here with Paul where it's, it's almost, if I could do this for you, I would, but I can't do it for you, and you must. This idea of appealing or pleading or requesting folks to do something, generally it's not something that you ask somebody to do that is already doing it. When we make appeals or pleads to somebody, it's generally something that will require effort on that person's part to accomplish. And we've said this multiple times, and it's important for us to remember, as followers of Jesus, there is effort that is required of us. This appeal to us from Paul linguistically carries both authority and affection, and I think we feel that with him in this. But I think sometimes we treat passages like this as like, Potentially like life hacks and or like neat like tips to pull out later. Rather than genuinely a framework for how Paul is inviting all followers of Jesus to live their life. So in other words, for Paul, this is a loving way for him to say, all followers of Jesus, all believers in Rome, this is how you must now live. These are the postures you must take. So as we go through this this morning, friends, I want us to know these are not cool tips. These are must-haves for the life of the follower of Jesus. So what is he asking them to do? Let's start... He asked them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Here in the 21st century, that is an odd concept. We don't really grasp what, uh, how, and how common sacrifices were in the first century. Sacrifice in the first century obviously included generally an animal or some, of some sort being sacrificed for somebody else. And it generally, almost always, included that animal dying. Well, Paul uses a different picture here. He's using a living sacrifice. This is not one in which costs the person their physical life necessarily, but this is an ongoing posture. And he's saying, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Present yourself regularly, ongoing, to Jesus. 
He's inviting those who follow Jesus to daily offer their bodies, their whole person, as a living sacrifice. When you guys think of the word um, sacrifice, what sort of things come to your mind? Or what, is, what, what do sacrifices entail? Not maybe in the first century sense, but when we talk about sacrifices here and now, what, is, what does that entail? What would you connect that with? What, giving up something? Great. Huh? Dieting? Yeah, okay. Yeah. An RBI. Something that could take your time. I think for something to be a sacrifice, maybe like the bare minimum, it's got to cost something, right? Look at the comparison this to, to Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus sacrificed himself on our behalf, and what did it cost him? It cost him his life. It was costly. All sacrifice, no matter what saint, whatever century you find yourself in, one of the common denominators is that there is a cost. And that living as a follower of Jesus will cost. And I think we lose sight of that. That there is a cost. Now the beautiful reality of the gospel which Paul has already laid out by the mercies of God, he's calling us to live this way because the cost is nothing. Paul tells us that, that there, he considers all things rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. Because of what Jesus has accomplished, there is no cost that would be too much because of what we've now received in Jesus, that we are now justified, that we're at peace with God, that we're unified with him, that we are secured in him, that we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that we have the guaranteed promise of eternal life with him. So he's calling us to live bodily. This is important. Not just my mind, not just my thoughts, my whole person, all of it, to live as a living sacrifice. This isn't a do this once sort of invitation. This is a as followers of Jesus, we must do this time and time and time again. Jesus says something similar in Luke 9 when he says, if anybody wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, or he must deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. For anyone who wants to find his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life for my sake will surely find it. But what's the motivation for us to live our lives as a living sacrifice? It's because of the mercies of God. Paul is compelling us. He spent the last 11 chapters talking about the goodness, the beauty, the glory of God. And he's wanting to 
propel us forward by the mercies of God to live life this way. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable to God. Even that holy and acceptable to God peace is part of the mercies of God. You, your life, your body now actually is a holy sacrifice to God. It is set apart to be lived for him. And God accepts it. Why? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. This is your spiritual worship. This is better to be understood as this is reasonable worship, meaning because of what Jesus has accomplished, living like this way makes sense. The mercies of God are this magnificent, this beautiful, this glorious, that living your lives as a living sacrifice is not insane. It's actually reasonable. It's what is expected. It is what ought to be normal. This is how we get to live because God has so poured out his love on us. We get the invitation to each day present ourselves, not just parts of ourselves, not just sections of our day, not just Sunday mornings, but all of our life to Jesus. Guys, as I was growing up, this was something that I struggled with uh, a lot. I don't know if you guys have heard conversations or heard people talk about, uh, you know, like, I've got my sacred parts of my life and I've got my secular parts of my life. And there are these things, that sacred parts all belong to God and secular parts kind of belong to me. That's unfamiliar language. We just segment our lives, right? Where we have, I have Sunday morning, which is dedicated to worship, and that's a great thing. But then I have Monday through Friday where I have to work my job, and that job, it's, that job is separate. That job is not worship. That job is work. That is just like what I have to do to pay my family's bills. That is what I have to do to survive. Then I have like my softball league, and like that's, that's me time. That's not Jesus' time. That's like me time. And then I've got like my video game time, and then I've got my Netflix time, and then I've got this other time, and then I've got this other time, and those are kind of me times too. And so like I've got this time on Sunday though, this time, this time I've, I've set apart. But the rest of it, That's more like, that's, that's, that's me time. Friends, there's no such thing as secular and sacred divide for followers of Jesus because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And if you ascend to the heavens, he is there. And if you descend to the depths of Sheol, he is there too. There is nowhere you can flee from his presence. He is with you at all times. And what Paul's putting in front of the believers in Rome and to us as well is that all of life is worship. All of life is worship. Not just Sunday morning or Thursday night, but all of life is worship. And we get to present ourselves, which is mind-boggling to me to begin with, as a living Sacrifice.
but I want you to know that all of life is meant to be worshipped. And actually, whether you know it or not, all of your life is worship. You're just either worshiping Jesus or you're worshiping the ways of this world. There is not a neutral worship space. And I just don't think we think about that very often, friends. You see, reasonable worship looks like one who daily and wherever and whatever they find themselves doing are offering their whole person to Jesus. Lord, here I am. I belong to you. Whatever you have for me today, I want to live for you. This lines up with other amazing passages that Paul wrote like Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Or Colossians 3, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We must stop fragmenting our lives and saying this part is my worship part and this part is my work part and this part is my whatever part. Because of the mercies of God, we are united with him, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us personally. And we've got to know that all of humanity is a living sacrifice in some way. The question is, are they living as a sacrifice unto Jesus or a sacrifice unto the world? And Paul is pleading Offer yourselves to Jesus. Paul is appealing because of the mercies of God. Offer yourself daily. One more quick thought on this before we move on to kind of unpack this more is is that sacrifices are, are for someone else. Throughout the Old Testament, even sacrifices were on behalf of another. And we'll see this expounded in Romans 12. But this idea of living a sacrifice Uh, a life that is a living sacrifice, it's not just me sacrificing unto the Lord, it's actually sacrificing also horizontally to those around us. There's a communal aspect to us living as living sacrifices. It's not just about me and my own holy relationship with God, though that must be primary, but it, it also involves this otherness, which again, next week we'll get into, or not next week, but in a couple weeks we'll get into Paul's use of the word body here is really important because he's talking about your physical body. The unique sacrifice that you get to bring is actually very unique because there is not another version of you. You've been uniquely and wonderfully made by Yahweh and he loves you and he has uniquely placed you in such a time as this, in such a place as this, to yes, be a living sacrifice to him, but also to engage in sacrifice with those around you. You have been placed in the home that you are in. You have been placed in the city in which you are in. And you are living as God's representative here and now. Part of being a living sacrifice for the Lord is living for the benefit of others and being willing to be interrupted. Looking for opportunities to serve even when it comes at a cost to us.
Let's move on. The next verse, Romans 12, 2, expounds to give us a few more steps practically when it comes to presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the starting point, as followers of Jesus who have experienced the mercies of God, we are to present our bodies to God. And, and really, I just encourage you with this, like, well, I'll get there in a, I guess, craft a one to two sentence prayer that you can pray over and over again in which you present your body to God and practice doing it. But here we're going to get into a, some, some clear pieces to that presenting ourselves to God. What does it look like? So we're to present our bodies to the God, and we are to follow these two clear commands. One is a do not, and the other is do this. And these two commands help inform what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world. And again, this is a command. This isn't like, hey, if you'd like to, follower of Jesus, like you can you know, choose maybe to do this, maybe not to do this. No, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, there, this, is a, this is a command. This is something we are to obey. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Do not be conformed to this world. I don't know that we take this as seriously, perhaps, as we ought. Do not be formed by the ways and the systems in which this world operates. To those in the first century that Paul's writing to, they would have been in the system of Rome, and this might be actually freeing or really challenging to them, probably depending on where they stood in their social order. But to them, at that time, Rome is the most powerful machine on the face of the planet. Do not be conformed to the ways of Rome. Do not operate as those who primarily belong to Rome. You belong to God and have been rescued out of the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved Son. I don't think any of us realize how much we've been formed by our world. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'd be curious to hear from you, what are some of the ways that you believe this world is trying to form us? Okay, retirement. It's a hot take, John. Consumerism. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? Like a hyper-tolerance sort of thing? Like... Okay. Sure. That's flashing. It's not just me, right? Okay. 
Whoa. What else? What ways does... What ways? Okay, everything is okay? Okay. Okay. Yep. Individualism. Moral relativism, sure. Look at like the gnarly cancel culture stuff that's going on right now, right? Like, like how, how formed are people into thinking one thing's okay or another thing's okay, depending on the mob in which they are attached to? Or what, I mean, we're staying really like light here, guys. Like what about like political parties? Are we more formed by the Republican Party? Are we more formed by the Democratic Party than we are by the kingdom of God? Are we more formed by my steady stream of Netflix or my steady stream of Instagram or TikTok, which I'm pretty sure is from the devil? Um, But I think a lot of times we think that we're only formed by like these massive things. But you guys, we're, we are formed all the times by the things that we ingest, by the things that we do. J.K. Smith has written a number of books along this. Is of, the idea is this, like you love what you do or you worship what you do. How do you spend your time? These are the things that will form you. These will be the things that shape you. I might encourage us this summer even to ha- perhaps be so bold to ask God through his spirit to reveal the ways in which this world is forming you and to give you courage to see. Hopefully not just to see, but to respond. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 2, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Friends, this is a command. Do we care? Do we care? This is not a guilt and shame message, friends. My heart is so heavy about this because I think if I'm to be honest, there are plenty of times that I just say I don't care, whether it's the words that come out of my mouth or the behavior that comes out of me. I just sometimes don't care. So how do we present Our bodies as living sacrifices, we start by do not being conformed, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Instead, command number two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The command here, by the way, is not to renew your mind. The command here is actually to be transformed. 
That is to be changed from the inside out like we learned in Romans 8 that God who has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus. In one of my questions for us again from the pastoral side is I'm just not sure how many of us actually want to be transformed. Do we actually want to be transformed? What's fascinating is this is is God's desire for you and I, that we would be transformed, that we would be molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. But I think, Primarily in the West, we found ourselves that we generally like to learn things about God. We want to be reminded about how good God's grace is, and we want to make sure we are saved. But I'm not sure how many of us actually desire transformation. And might I just lean with, on you guys a little bit, and this is why Paul says, I appeal to you. I plead with you. I urge you, brothers and sisters, enter into this. You have been saved. You are redeemed. This is not so that you might earn God's favor. This is because God's favor rests upon you. And sons and daughters, you have just barely begun to taste and see the goodness of God. And there is so much more that is available. But the question is, sons and daughters of the king, do you want to join God in that work? Do we want to change? And once again, spoiler alert, every one of us is going to change. The question is, will we be transformed to be more like Jesus, or will we be transformed to be more like this world? Now, how is it that we might be transformed to be more like Jesus? And let's start with the good news. And this we find in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Those of us who are in Jesus, who have proclaimed with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved and God will continue this work in us. And one day when we see him, John tells us that we will be like him. Praise God for that. That is going to happen. But in the meantime, we get to the honor of joining him in the process, and how do we do it, Paul says, by renewing our mind. We're to present our whole bodies. We're to not allow the world to form, instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what one commentator says. The word renewal appears only in Christian literature. and I don't actually know how to say this word. Butresses? Butresses? What's butresses? Butresses, thank you. See? Butresses. Hmm. The view, so, in Christian literature, and buttresses the view that Paul is making. A dis- I can read Greek, I just, that one doesn't work for me. I don't like it with two T's, it's just weird. Um, Paul is making a distinctive claim. This renewal compromises a mind that has shifted away from the debased mind, which is talked about in Romans 1, from the mind of the flesh, which is talked about in Romans 8, and becomes instead a mind governed by a new way of the Spirit. Romans 7, 6 and 8, 27. And that is conformed to the image of the Son. You see, this renewing of the mind is connected to the reality of the mercies of God once again. 
that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He now intercedes on our behalf. This renewing of our minds is not meant to be done in isolation or in the power of our own being. And it's not just about me grabbing and pulling myself up by my bootstraps. It's about joining God with the work that he's doing through the Spirit who dwells in us to help transform us from the inside out. This renewal of our minds is learning and relearning how to think and see the world through God's eyes and not through worldly lenses that we so easily put on. So the invitation is to join God in his work of transforming us. We partner with the Holy Spirit and ask him to renew our minds to help us know God's heart for us and this world. And we put that on rinse, repeat. We live in a culture of instant gratification. We just want to hit the microwave button and have the renewed mind. This invitation from Paul is over and over and over and over again. Because the onslaught that keeps coming, it's not hard to be molded by the ways of this world. It happens with ease. It is challenging to say no to the ways of this world and to be transformed. So how do we grow in this process? Shocker. It's by putting things into practice. By creating space over and over and over again. I love this. Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard, seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This renewing of our mind does begin with thinking the right things. But Paul never wants it to state about thinking the right things. That's why he says, make sure to put these things into practice. And as our minds are renewed, we will be able to discern God's will in our lives here and now. In other words, this is the path to the flourishing, full, and good life as a follower of Jesus. Here and now and into eternity. That we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. That we not be conformed to the patterns of this world and that we renew our minds through and with the Holy Spirit. Worship team, come on up. There are a few what-to-dos. I want to give you a couple practices really quick that we can perhaps put into practice. And one is that you, I mentioned this earlier, is that you would develop a one-to-two sentence prayer that you repeat throughout the day, not as a mantra or a mindless activity, but that you might consciously participate in presenting yourself to the Lord. And so maybe it's actually just taking this text and say, Lord, I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. In whatever situation I find myself, I want to be with you, listen to you, and be used by you. I encourage you 
to at least develop a practice in doing this in the morning time, if not multiple times throughout the day. Then there's this call to not be conformed. I challenge you this summer to practice fasting. Either from food, electronics, news. Friends, I, I just admit there are so many ways in which this world has weaseled its head in and its way into our lives. And sometimes we need to remove pieces so that we can see what God is on about, what God is wanting to highlight. And then renewing your mind, reading, friends. We must engage with God and his word regularly. We need to understand, we need his word to understand who he is, who we are, and what's going on with this world. World, We encourage you. There's a reading plan. We use, some of us are going through the CBR. We must be a people who renew our minds by reading God's word. And the last one that I want to encourage you with and that I need to grow in a lot is that we would be a people who stop and ask and actually listen. Yes, to other people, but specifically to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That we would be a people that stop and ask, listen, and respond. We can talk more about these in the coming weeks. But friends, this is not a do this once. This is a continue to do this over and over and over again, similar to this meal that we get to partake.